Support for this WXAV podcast is being provided by Bookies, new and used books. Located at 10324 Southwestern Avenue in Chicago, Bookies specializes in new and used books. Their selection includes new releases, bestsellers, and books that are out of print. For more information, please visit their website at bookieschicago.com. You can also find them on Facebook by searching Bookies Chicago or call them at 773-239-1110. This podcast is being brought to you by WXAV 88.3 FM and WXAV.com. WXAV, bringing the best podcasts to you. Hi, I'm Peter Creighton, and welcome to a very special birthday celebration for the world's greatest fictional detective. The character of Sherlock Holmes has lived in our collective imagination for over 130 years. During that time, he has conquered print, radio, television, and film. In fact, it's safe to say that he may be more popular today than when he was first published in the Strand Magazine in 1891. So to celebrate Holmes's birthday, I wanted to explore his popularity and why he has never really left the forefront of our collective imagination. If anything, he's gone on to inspire countless other great fictional consulting detectives, while essentially giving birth to modern fandom. To find answers to these questions, I recently spoke with a Sherlockian expert. Donald Terrace is master of the Hounds of the Baskerville Sick, a Sherlock Holmes society located here in Chicago. In our conversation, Donald discusses how he first discovered Sherlock Holmes, how the Sherlockian societies were first created, and why Holmes is such an endearing character. Here now, my conversation with Donald Terrace. My full name is Donald J. Terrace, and I am master uh, of the Hounds of the Baskerville Sick. Sick qualifies the Hounds of the Baskerville. Can you share with us, Don, uh, how you first discovered the Sherlock Holmes stories? You know, it's it's far back in my memory, but I remember um, in grammar school, we had a librarian come into class that would sit and read stories to us. Um, I was probably in third or fourth grade, and uh, I remember during the holiday season, this time of year, um, she read the Blue Carbuncle to us. That is the uh, the case of the Blue Carbuncle, and it's a fascinating um, story. Holmes' methods are exposed very well in the story. His character. Um, it's a it's a great holiday story, uh, and and that really got me started on it, but. I really didn't get involved until some years later uh, when uh, I think I was in junior high school and the uh, WGN TV here in Chicago was running the Basil Rathbone series of Sherlock Holmes movies that he did during the uh, 30s and 40s. And they were on Sundays and um, I never missed a one of them. Partly because uh, I like Basil Rathbone, and two, I just love the stories and the uh, the characterizations that uh, that they did back then. It's uh, it's really funny you mention that because that's kind of how I got introduced to Sherlock Holmes as well. Too, my dad's a big fan, 
and uh, we used to watch the the Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes together all the time. We still do, in fact. Um, and that was very similar. One of my first introductions to the character. Do you have a favorite story of Sherlock Holmes at all? Well, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say my favorite story was The Hound of the Baskerville. It's got characterization. It's got mood. It's got uh, just a great storyline to it. It's a, a terrific mystery. It's got all of the elements that, uh, that really made Sherlock Holmes and uh, the Sherlock Holmes accounts. Um, if you're a diehard Sherlockian, you, you don't believe they're just stories. They are accounts of actual um, investigations that Holmes undertook. Um, but it's re- the, the Hound of the Baskervilles really has all of the terrific elements that made Sherlock Holmes so, uh, um, so popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, since you mentioned it, do you have a, a favorite Basil Rathbone movie? Outside of the, the Adventures of Robin Hood, which takes us out of the, <laughs> the interview topic here, um, uh, but it's or, still... or Captain Blood, or I mean, he was the, just a fascinating uh, actor, Hollywood actor. Yeah, he was fascinating guy. Uh, um, but as far as Sherlock Holmes goes, I think The Hound of the Baskervilles is uh, again is uh, is one of his better outings as uh, as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, that is a great one. Um, we would have also uh, accepted Son of Frankenstein because he is in that one as well, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you're uh, a member of one of the Sherlockian societies of the Chicagoland area, which is called the Hounds of the Baskerville. And um, can you just tell us a little bit about how this organization came together? Well, it was started in 1943 due largely to the efforts of a very prominent writer, Chicago writer at the time. Uh, actually, um, his name is Vincent Sterrett, and he was actually born in Toronto but made his uh, home here in Chicago. And uh, he was a writer, um, war correspondent, poet. Um, he did all kinds of uh, of writing at the time was good friends with uh, with Jack London and uh, a lot of famous Ben Hecht, uh, Hemingway, um, friends with all of the great writers of the period, and uh, he was a Sherlockian, and um, it was due to his efforts and those of Charles Collins, a colleague of his at the uh, Chicago Tribune. Vincent Starrett also was a columnist for the Tribune for many years, um, writing about books, of course. And really those two, along with uh, Stanley Pargellis and Horace Bridges, uh, a couple of other Holmes devotees, uh, they started the, the Hounds in, uh, in 1943, January 7th. Um, and... Uh, it was due to their efforts that uh, that the hounds really got off the ground, and now, the hounds were the were the third oldest uh, society, uh, so-called Sherlockian society or Scion, uh, which is a subgroup. Um, they're superseded only by the Baker Street Irregulars in New York, that were formed in 1934, and the Speckled Band of Boston. I cannot remember the date they were. Uh, they were established. Now, uh, 
in doing my research for this interview, I, you know, read up a little bit about the Baker Street Irregulars and um, their their famous dinner parties in, in New York. Now, with the Sherlockian societies, are they all, like, a part of the Baker Street Irregulars? Is that, like, an umbrella organization, or is each organization, like, its own separate, like, entity? Well, the Baker Street Irregulars being the oldest Sherlockian society in the United States act as kind of a mother group to all the other groups which are called scions or subgroups of uh, the uh, Baker Street Irregulars. Um, The Hounds, however, at one time, uh, because they had uh, a very prominent figure in Vincent Sterrett, who helped form the uh, Baker Street Irregulars, the Hounds had their own chapter here um, in Chicago for many years before uh, they just finally became a scion or subgroup of the the Baker Street Irregulars. Now, can you kind of explain what takes place in these organizations and these societies? What, What do members do? Well, they study the canon. For one reason or another, I mean, people uh, are very taken with the stories, they're very taken with the characters, or they're taking, taken with the times. I spent 24 years in, uh, in higher education um, in the Department of Anthropology at Northeastern Illinois University. My particular interest is not only with the art of writing the mystery, but also, in, in Doyle does such a great job of uh, creating the atmosphere that the accounts took place in. I look at his stories kind of as social documents of, uh, of the Victorian era. Um, so people are interested in them for a lot of different reasons and, and look at them in their own perspective and, and light of uh, those likes. So you almost see the Sherlock Holmes uh, stories as a window into our past then. Yes, that's a, a very good way to put it. I think uh, that, that he, his writing is definitely a documentation of, uh, of the times. Now, uh, why do you think Doyle was able to capture that? Do you think it was just his ability uh, of being a writer, or do you think there was other external... I think he he wrote what he knew, and Mm -hmm. he knew the times very well. You know, the Victorian era, and there's a lot of the Victorian era in his stories. You can't really have the stories without having the the era in there. A lot of these organizations, they do a lot of research and and publish materials based off of the accounts of, of Sherlock Holmes and that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the hounds have have done in in research of of the uh, of the characters in that? The the hounds act as an honor society first of all, for other scions uh, around the country. Um, the membership is is not open; it's by invitation only. So, you know, our membership is comprised of um, people who have been. Sherlockian or Doylean fans for a, a very long period of time, <clears throat> and in their own right, have um, contributed um, to the corpus of uh, of, of uh, Sherlockiana or Holmesian writings. So we're a little bit different than other organizations. As far as publishing goes, 
we do have a publication on the history of the hounds, a nice hardcover book. Uh, there's a 75th anniversary edition that was published just last year. Um, and I wrote, uh, I updated an edition that was written in 1983. Uh, so it was a combination of myself and what uh, a guy by the name of John Naminsky did, um, really, really starting or, or wrote the first edition. And that's what we have. We, we have the history of the Hounds of the Baskerville and, there, the rest of us that are members have contributed other um, writings. For example, I was a member of a, a group here in Chicago that's called Hugo's Companions. For those people who are wondering how that name came about, Hugo's Companions uh, were the, uh, the friends of Sir Hugo, uh, of which uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles came about. So the Hounds and Hugo's Companions are very, historically have been uh, very close-knit. Um, but I was president of Hugo's Companions, and I did a book on uh, their uh, 50th anniversary. I acted as contributing editor and, uh, and manager of the, uh, of the project when my title was Sir Hugo, um, or president of Hugo's Companions. I also uh, edited a book um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes um, for the uh, Newberry Library um, it was to dedicate the contribution of a significant collection of uh, Holmesian artifacts to, uh, to the Newberry Library by a, uh, a tremendous uh, collector, C. Fred Kittle. Um, and it's called the Kittle Collection of Doyleana, which is now at the, uh, the Newberry Library. There, there's another name I want to bring up for you before we move back to the uh, to Sherlock Holmes himself, and that is uh, Vincent Starrett. And I hope I said his last name correct. Starrett. Yeah. What was his impact on Sherlock Holmes culture? Well, as I said before, you know he was a very prominent individual. Um, he had written um, oh the uh, the private life of Sherlock Holmes the unique uh, Hamlet. Um, he wrote a poem called 221B. He helped start the Baker Street Irregulars. I mean, you're talking about a, a Chicagoan who was really, uh, I think, arguably could be uh, um, called the, the spark plug of, uh, of the Sherlockian movement in this country. Um, the Baker Street Irregulars, of course, uh, were the first group that were formed at, back in 1934, but um, with the help of Vincent Serrett, and, um, I, you know, Chicago holds, holds a very coveted place in the, in the Sherlockian world because of Vincent Sterrett, and Vincent Sterrett is uh, one of the stars of, uh, of the, uh, the fandom, if, uh, if I can use that word, that it's come to be. And you actually had a, a, a perfect segue there with mentioning uh, our city that we live in, Chicago. What are some of the connections between our city, Chicago, and Sherlock Holmes, the character, uh, to Conan Doyle, to the myth, to the fandom? Uh, what's, what's Chicago's role with the, uh, with the character? Well, Chicago only comes up a couple or three times in the stories themselves themselves. 
Holmes makes reference to uh, Abe Slaney, a, a notorious crook in Chicago. Uh, he makes mention of a of a uh, the Randall gang. Doyle himself visited Chicago uh, on a couple of occasions. So Chicago is is there, but it's not a, a, a point of focus for the stories. I mean, the, it's it's um, Chicago is really more known more for the um, science societies that are here. Um, at one point in time, there were eight or nine active Sherlockian groups um, in Chicago. I know that's dwindled now to probably three or four, but even three or four is a lot have in a even in a, a large metropolitan area like Chicago. When we had eight or nine, there wasn't any city in the country that could uh, could touch Chicago. That's how popular um, Sherlock Holmes and Arthur Conan Doyle were in uh, in the city. Let's go back to to Sherlock Holmes himself. The uh, the the character, the the man, if you will, is approaching uh, 132 years old, and we're still drawn to him. I mean, there's been major movies with Robert Downey Jr. that's been produced over the last decade. You have the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, series from the BBC. You have new radio dramas that are being produced out in the in Seattle. Um, the character is still as popular as when he was first uh, published. This is two parts. One, what do you think uh, Holmes's impact on literature is? And then the second part is, why do you think we're still drawn to the character? Because he's uh, he's not the most lovable character in all of literature. It, I think it really starts with um, pulp fiction. You know, the generation of a lot of uh, publications, which really took place during the, the 1800s. You know, there were the, the stories about the Old West that were serialized, and, and uh, um, largely the term for it is pulp fiction. And it really began during the 1800s. And that's when people started following um, these characters, and and it could be looked at as an early form of uh, of uh, shared fandom, uh, which we call just today fandom. Uh, social media really helped uh, um, create the uh, the kind of or fueled the flames of uh, of this shared fandom today, but. It wasn't so much Sherlock Holmes to begin with. The, the character, and Doyle is very clear on this, he, he was influenced very much by, uh, by the character of C. Auguste Dupin um, that was penned by, uh, by uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And um, Doyle took off on that, and, and Sherlock Holmes really um, is partly Dupin, it's mostly Conan Doyle, but but Conan Doyle really took off with the character and the idea. And without Sherlock Holmes, we wouldn't have the uh, the great characters uh, of Nick Charles, um, Sam Spade, Charlie Chan, Philip Marlowe, uh, Spencer, or TV shows certainly like CSI or House. And you know, there are almost too many to mention. So the impact of Holmes. Um, has really been tremendous, and the impact of uh, 
Holmes, I should say, through Arthur Conan Doyle. It's really been tremendous. As far as, as, far as Holmes' character being popular, I think people resonate with somebody who, who says what he thinks and has a great conviction in what he knows. Um, we're living in a time period today where people see an awful lot, but they don't observe. And the difference being that when you observe something, you have the time to absorb and understand what you're seeing. People today are so move so quickly through time, through the day, through their lives, that they very rarely are able to really take a good look and understand the intricacies of, uh, of life. And certainly with Holmes, it's put in context with, uh, with mystery. Um, so I think that has a good deal with, uh, with why people are, are taken with his character. So just I got two more questions for you. Uh, one's just a fun one. Who do you think has been the best uh, portrayal of the character Sherlock Holmes on, uh, on movies or television? Is it Basil Rathbone? Is it Jeremy Brett from the 80s? Is it Benedict Cumberbatch? Who do you think is who's been the best, and do you have a favorite? Well, my personal favorite is Jeremy Brett. I think he did a just an incredible job um, in portraying the character. I put... Um, Basil Rathbone, a close second to Brett. I think uh, what really what what kept Basil back um, was he did not have the writers. Um, these stories weren't as close to the original as Brett did, and mm-hmm. Brett did had this tremendous production company behind him, whereas the uh, you know the serialization of some of the stories by uh, by the production company that uh, Rathbone was working with. They were more interested in entertainment. And you have to remember when you and I saw those on WGN <clears throat> with commercials, uh, they made a 90-minute segment for themselves out of uh, a movie that was only about an hour and 10 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's there's that part of it as well. I, I don't know. I upset a lot of my my contemporaries by saying I like Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm not real crazy about some of the ways that they've translated it into contemporary times, but I think it's very well done. I think the productions are terrific. I think some of the writing is just outstanding. Um, but having said that, there's, there's some, I, I have some problems with it. But I think, you know, I'm, I am for these translations into contemporary times. I like the old ones as well. I just like Holmes. I like Arthur Conan Doyle. And, uh, you know, there's, no matter who you like the best, it's interesting you ask that question because I had a, a newspaper interview with, uh, oh, telephone interview with John Cass of the Chicago Tribune a couple of three years ago on the same topic. Um, who's the best? And uh, he he wrote about it, and I think he came up with uh, with Brett being first, Rathbone. I don't know. I think someone that that is not appreciated fully is Peter Cushing. 
If oh, yeah. you've ever seen Peter Cushing's version of the uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles, it's a tremendous, very edgy kind of production. It's even got William Shatner in it, believe it or not. Really? Uh, yeah, isn't that yeah. from, uh, it's from the 70s or the 80s, correct? Yeah. yeah. No, 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 it goes back farther than that. I think it's the 60s. Oh, wow, okay. Um, it may even be the 50s. Christopher Lee is in it as well. Oh, you have um, me it's sold It's a very on it. early version of, of the, but it's color, and uh, and it's very well done. I, I it's it's my outside of the, uh, you know, Basil Rathbone version. I think that one has a a lot going for it. It's as I said, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more edgy than mm-hmm. uh, the Rathbone, and uh, it's got some qualities uh, that the Rathbone one doesn't. Seems like each generation had theirs. William Gillette, um, going way back to the uh, the early 1900s, uh, back then was and still in many circles is, is thought of as you know the best portrayer of uh, of Sherlock Holmes. But uh, and didn't there uh, there was a silent film of his that was just recently it was rediscovered and put out on Blu-ray too. Um, if exactly. I remember correctly, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know they put it on Blu-ray, but uh, yeah, it yeah. was. It's the only uh, version that uh, you know, people had been looking for it for years and years and years, and they found it in, in a, a copy of it in France in some film vault, and uh, they were able to uh, to restore it, and uh, it's it's made the rounds. It was played here in Chicago, um, I think it was a couple of years ago. What a treasure! Yeah. So I got one final question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who have never read Sherlock Holmes, where do you recommend they start? What would be a first good story for them to say, if you want to get into Sherlock Holmes, read this one? I say start at the beginning. I mean, you, you don't have to start at the beginning, but I think it's always best to start at the beginning. And you can find A Study in Scarlet, which was his first novel with, uh, with Sherlock Holmes, in a compilation of Holmes called The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. That, I think, would be the best way to start it because you get the, the, the novel there, you get the short stories from the, um, the first third. There, there are three of these compilations that uh, were created. Um, and uh, start with the first one. And, I, I'm, you know, if you're any kind of uh, fan of detective fiction or Holmes at all, uh, you know, you're going to be hooked if you haven't read it. Don, thank you so much. I had such a pleasure talking to you. This was a blast. Thank you for doing this. Okay, my pleasure. And that was my conversation with Donald Terrace. To learn more about the Hounds of the Baskerville Sick, please visit their website at houndsofthebaskerville.org. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation on literature's greatest consulting detective, Sherlock Holmes. I hope I've enticed you enough to go and pick up and read a Sherlock Holmes story. If I may be so bold, I'd like to recommend The Five Orange Pips. That one's my favorite. I'm Peter Creighton, and thanks for listening. Thank you very much for listening to this WXAV 88.3 FM podcast. Be sure to visit our website, wxav.com, for more information on your escape from Ordinary Radio.